changed exactly what I was going to say as usual. <laughs> and uh, so there's a scripture. I don't know if you're going there or not, but in Second Peter 1, and I wrote it on the light board back there. And when I wrote it out, you know how when you see scripture, it's like, oh, my gosh, I never saw that. before. I mean, I saw it. I knew it. But it changed the meaning because of where I was on that trail of um, the faith of God. You know, it's not it's, we live by his faith. You know, he's the one who has faith that imparted it to us that we are able to have faith. So the life we we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but the, the son of God in me lives and I live that life by the faith of God. So I live by his faith. And so there was another portion of scripture in second Peter, because you wanted me to write it on the light board. So I thought, Oh, I'm going to write it in this translation because I kind of like it better. And it's the mirror translation for second Peter one, two, it says God's desire is that we may know increasingly that we may now increasingly be overwhelmed. His desire is that we now be increasingly overwhelmed with grace as his divine influence within us and become fully acquainted with the awareness of our oneness. The way he has always known us is realized in the, in our, as, in, as the way he has always known us is realized in Jesus our master. So what he is saying there is it's not the knowledge, the knowledge of God isn't our knowledge of him. The knowledge of God is his knowledge of us. Because it's said in there, may we know him by his knowledge. The in, he, we have divine influence. So when I read that, I thought, yeah, I know it's different in the other translation, and I can go read it if you want me to. Um, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You're going to read it later. But anyway... Um, I hope that, I know I'm not making it because I changed it, and I'm like, oh, Holy Spirit, help me get it out because it's good for me, and I want to give it to you, and I was chewing on it all last night, and it's like, he knew us before we were even born, right? So it's Jeremiah 1, 5. He knew, he chose us before the foundation of the world, so we were in him before the foundation of the world, so what he wants us to know is not as in our pursuing of knowing him. Now, we know God is good. We know that he's love. We know that he's healer and a miracle worker. But what do we know of his knowledge of us? And that's what this scripture is saying. It's not our knowledge of him, but it's his knowledge of us. And so, and so many times you might hear that you're a sinner. You, we want to hear sin consciousness preached. We don't want to hear anything about how good God is. We want to hear how bad we are so we can then walk our tight rope and then live a moral life. But once we know what God already believes and thinks of us, our original design, then that walk comes out naturally in a flow. Just like he said with Peter when Jesus was talking to him and he says, who do men say that I am? And then he says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, well, no one revealed that to you but my father in heaven. He had divine influence still. And so we have the divine influence in us to let us know what he thinks of us. So therefore, he's like, yes, Peter. And then he called him Peter. He changed his name back to his original, what he knew him as, and said, now you are a rock, and on this is the church will be built. So that was his purpose. So God has a purpose for each of us, and for, I know it doesn't sound, but we're, we're one, and there's no separation, and that's his, what his knowledge, what he wants us to know him, what, what is his mind, we have the mind of Christ that says, who knows the mind of the Lord, right, 
but we do because we have the mind of Christ. And so I want to know more what he thinks of me, you know, because I know that I'm loved. And when you know that you're loved, your faith works. It's not that I have to love so my faith will work. It's that I know that I'm loved because I know that I'm loved and I have faith in him and of him that I live by that things work, right? So let the divine influence tell you who you are, that you're accepted, that you're valued, that you are worthy, that you are righteous, that you were always in him from the beginning. And no matter what path you might go down, that might not be the right path. Divine influence is still there to remind you who you are and your purpose. And that divine influence will rise up in you and awaken you to your awareness of who you are in him right? It was a lot. Just marinate on that. I know you're all looking like, what did she even say? (laughs) But it's not our knowledge of him, but it's his knowledge of us. That's the main thing I want you to know out of all of that. Just go and study it out, get the mirror. He breaks down every word, and that is so good because he can bring up Aramaic, and it brings up Greek, and it brings up the words translated, and and then the next scripture down, it says we have everything to live a full life. He's already equipped us with that. And um, does he, that's his knowledge. It's like, hey, listen, I've given you this. I've given you my life. I've given you my spirit. I've given you my son. I've given you my everything. And we're one. And you walk in oneness with me all the time. There's no separation. And just know what I think about you. When you know what he thinks about you, then you walk it out, right? So hopefully I'm making more sense as I ramble on. But I told you it would be off the cuff. So... Do we all get it a little yeah. bit anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully you clean it up. I'll clean it up. Well, it, you know, she's right. Jeremiah 1.5, if you look at that, uh, I mean, it, it will tell you any, more than anything else that life begins at conception. Thank you for that warm response, all of you pro-lifers. Uh, that will quote that scripture upside down and inside out. But what does it really mean? That before you were ever formed, his intentions and plans for you, it says there that I knew you. And it's that knowledge that he has about us that makes the difference. Because how many of you have ever heard anyone say in church, it's not about you, it's all about him. We say that all the time, but then we want... it's. We want to say it's our knowledge. Yes, there's a recognition that we have that knowledge, but if it's not the about the knowledge of that he has towards us, then we're just going to be miserable people trying to figure God out. Let him reveal himself and the knowledge that he has to you. That's why we've been sharing this message of listening to his voice, leaning in, dialing into his frequency, because we've established a few things this month. Number one, he still speaks. If he doesn't, then let's just close up the book and go home and just hope to die and make heaven someday. But I believe he's still speaking, and he's speaking in his will, the Father's will, in heaven is what we can live in on earth. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, and it has. Jesus brought the kingdom when he showed up, and he's still speaking to us. What does he speak? We talked last week about what is he saying. He's still saying what he's always says. You are my beloved. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You're more, just all of these things that he has said, 
He's not detracting from them because of your behavior, behavior or you messed up or screwed up or don't even know what he's saying yet. He's still saying the same thing. He's still speaking today. And he does speak outside of Scripture. But the framework for what he is saying, even Revelation, the framework is the Scriptures. He's not going to speak outside of the Scriptures even in fresh revelation, it's going to line up precept upon precept, line upon line, and it's going to deal with how he thinks about you. So now we need to come to the place where we understand he said it, then we step into I believe it. Can I get anybody to say I believe it? That settles it. If we're going to stay in doubt and unbelief about the things that he has said and what he continues to say, and we don't settle it in our hearts, you'll find out today through some of this teaching that it shuts up faith. And when it shuts up faith and we have unbelief, you, do you know that there are benefits to believing unto salvation? Come on. Eternal life, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And not ever, only everlasting life when you die, but abundant life right here, right now. That's a benefit of believing unto salvation. But we continue to believe as believers because when there's unbelief, which there is a lot of unbelief in church pews this morning, then it shuts up faith. And it's shutting up, it's even blocking his faith when we don't believe. Now he's still faithful when we're faithless and he'll do things for us that we don't even deserve. That's called grace. But there are some things that we don't walk in the benefits of when we have unbelief. That's why we can say, he said it, he's still saying it, I believe it. Now that settles it. A biblical promise is a declaration of God's intentions to graciously bestow gifts upon his children. It is his commitment to do something. And can I tell you that he already did it at the cross of Calvary. God has already accomplished his promises to us. All of the declarations. Go back to Jeremiah 1.5. That even before you were born in your mother's womb, he knew. It says there in Jeremiah 1.5 that I sanctified you. See, we've talked about sanctification being a process. The, the scripture, even in the Old Testament, says he sanctified you before you were even born. You were set apart. That's what the word sanctified means. You were made holy in your mother's womb before you were ever born. Now, I'm just going to throw something out there. If you'll think about that, then how are you born in sin? I'm just throwing that out there to think about it. And you'll see through this script, these scriptures today that a promise is a legally binding declaration that gives the person to whom it was made all the promises of God that he said and he spoke were to us, his children. So it binds us and gives us the right, and here's this word we talked about last week, to expect or to claim the performance of the specific promise. Numbers, the second chapter, 23rd chapter. Numbers, the 23rd chapter. I'm anxious to get to 2 Peter. That's why I said to. 
Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. That word repent means to change his mind. He's not a man that he's going to change his mind about you. So what he has said is what he is still saying. The way that he felt about you when he spoke in the old, co old covenant and said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. He's not repenting and changing his mind and saying, I wish I never loved them before. No, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you forever. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you. He's not going to change his mind about what he's done for you and how much he loves you. Has he not said, and he did, he promised, and will he not do, and he did, in Christ? Or has he spoken, yes he has, and he still does, and will he not make good on it? We said in week one, God doesn't tell you something that he's going to do and then not do it. See, a promise is only as reliable as the person giving it. If I've failed you time and time again and I keep promising you, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do this for you, and I never come through with that promise, and then I promise, I'm not a very reliable person. And so when I promise something to you, you just walk away saying, yeah, that'll happen. But God is not a man and he doesn't lie, and not only has he promised, but he has fulfilled. Now, here we go. Second Peter, this is where Lisa was in the mirror translation. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Write that down as a reference to go read Second Peter 1 this week. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, cascade over you. As you live in the rich knowledge of God, as you live in the knowledge of what God has done for you, what he thinks about you, his knowledge towards you, as you live in that, and grace and peace is being multiplied to you because of his promises and his goodness, and it all comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 3, as divine power, his divine power, dunamis, has given to us, say I'm one of the us, all things, how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness. That phrase in the Greek is in the perfect tense, meaning that it's already been accomplished. It doesn't allude to something being done in the past. It is, even the tense of the verb there is these are the things that he's given to us that have already been accomplished in Christ. We're not waiting. There's no delay or distance. It's a done deal. All the things that pertain to life and godliness. So, verse 4, as a result of this, that he's given us everything that pertains to life, he has also given us exceeding great and precious, what? Promises. We have made, established this morning that a promise is a declaration of God's intentions towards you. And they're great, they're exceedingly great and precious promises. Huge, abundant. In this Greek word, it's inexpressible value, the promises that God has made towards you. I'm trying to help encourage you this morning. They are beyond all price. Why? Because you can't put a price tag on God sending His Son to give His life for you. How do you put a price tag on a life? That through Him giving up His life, 
No man took his life. He willingly laid down his life for you. You're his friend. And he's, because of that, established and accomplished and given you all things that pertain to life and godliness through his power, dunamis. They're huge. They're abundant. And so now, through the, the power of these promises, that's, that means claiming them as your own and unlocking the power of these promises, you now experience or have a partnership and you share in his divine nature. And that word nature there is theo in the Greek and it means that you bring forth, you produce and give birth to these things because they've already been placed in you. But unbelief locks up us not walking out in these promises. God has accomplished them and we know in Scripture that uh, what a lot of those are. If we don't, then we need to be digging them out because they're not something that you have faith so that by your faith they're accomplished. It's by His faith to be obedient to what the Father sent Him to do that they've already been accomplished and we believe that. Our faith is simply believing that He had faith to do what God told Him to do as the Son of God. That's what our faith is. Faith isn't a work. I know some of you from a faith, word of faith background, faith isn't a work. You're just declaring and believing that what God has already done through Jesus is true. Does that make sense? There is, there, throughout Scripture, there's not one word that you can specifically point out and say, this is the word for promise. There's multiple words in Hebrew building on each other and using the same root structure so that you understand the promises of God. See, in English, we, turn, we tend to search out the scripture for a specific promise. But in Hebrew and Greek, a promise of God by definition is anything and everything that he has said. It's not bad to dig out if you're dealing with fear, all of the promises of fear not. That's not a bad thing. But everything that God has said is a promise. And everything that he promised is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I hope this helps deepen our awe and our trust in the knowledge of his intent towards us. You know, God's will is his intentions, his plans towards us. And all of his plans towards us are good. There's not one bad thought that God's ever had about you. There's not one negative word that has ever come out of the Father's mouth when it pertains to you. I hope it's just sinking in and you're marinating on that. Punch your neighbor three times and tell him to wake up. I'm just joking. Let me show you what I mean. In Hebrew, I hope this is on the screen, Omer... O-M-E-R means to say or to promise. It's a said thing. So the promises of God aren't just written in the pages of Scripture. They proceeded out of His mouth before they were ever penned on paper. And every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God already has the seed in it to accomplish what He said that it was going to happen. And remember on Father's Day I preached a message. The Father's language is Jesus. 
I just felt that go through all of my body. The Father's language is Jesus, and he is the seed that proceeded out of the mouth of God. It's an incorruptible seed, and it will not return void. It didn't return void. It, he accomplished. The word accomplished what it was set forth to do. It's found in Genesis, this word omir, is found in Genesis, the ninth chapter, when God speaks out of his mouth to Noah a promise. Now, the rainbow, let's take it back, is a covenant promise that God made to himself. Thank God that we get to see the beauty of a rainbow, but that's not to remind you. The scripture says that God promised to Noah that he would never destroy the earth with water again. Can I take a step further out into deep water and tell you he's never going to destroy it with fire either? Read your Bible. No, he promised this to Noah. This omir shares a root word, you see it on the screen, with amar. Two different words, same root, and it means male lamb. Is that a promise? It was. In Genesis, there was a promise answered. It was all of the cry of Israel was for this male lamb, the Messiah, to come. God was not predicting that something might happen. So let's just make this very clear. When God promises something, when he speaks something, even to you in Revelation today, it's not a prediction about something that might happen. We have to get this mindset that he is not some type of weatherman that's 30% right half the time, that something might, he's predicting that the weather might be certain away. No, when God speaks out of his mouth, it is not a prediction. It is a promise that has already been fulfilled. That's huge. That's a big difference. Because if we have a mindset when God speaks that he's making a prediction, then there's a room for uh, error and there's room for doubt. But when it's a promise, the declaration out of God's mouth about his intentions towards you, and we can look at scripture and know in Second Peter that everything that he gives to us that pertains to life has already been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I hope you guys will write scriptures down and that you just won't take my word for it. I want you to use these references to go home and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to your heart about some of these things. Just don't believe it because I said it. Because God might show you something else that has deeper meaning and ministers to you in your life about the promises that he's made for you. See, in Genesis 22, Abraham told his son that God would provide himself a lamb. In verse 16 of 22, underline this one in your Bibles, go back to this as a reference often, God swore an oath to himself. The beginning of the new covenant is established when Abraham believes what God said and God counted it, put it on his record as righteousness. Because he believed. And God wasn't promising to Abraham as he had the children of Israel through Moses that if they would do certain things, give certain amounts of money, 
live in certain types of tents and worship him on certain days that he would do something for them, he said, I'm going to swear an oath to myself, chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 16. It's backed up in Hebrews where he says it again. God swore an oath to himself. He made this covenant promise to himself. God is a promise-keeping God, and it has nothing to do with me and you. That's why it's his faith. Now, my faith is simply believing that he had the faith to accomplish it. Verse 17, he says, I will bless you and increase your descendants. Verse 18, watch this. In your seed, singular, all, all nations of the earth will be blessed. I don't know if you can understand that or comprehend that. It's taken me years to. But even in the old covenant, when God was promising what he was going to do through Jesus, he was inclusive. He didn't leave anybody out in the promise. Now you have to believe that for yourself to walk in the benefits of that. A lot of people aren't walking in it. Why? They haven't believed it. They don't believe that that's what God did for them or that's what God says over them. But it was his promise that all nations of the earth, all peoples would be blessed. All right, let's take a trip. We've called it Roman Road before, but here's a real Roman Road in chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. We're talking about the promises of God, which are the declarations out of his mouth about the intentions that he has towards you. And he knew you in your mother's womb, and he already sanctified you and set you apart. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. In other words, I just explained that a minute ago. It wasn't by keeping certain holy days. It wasn't by offerings. It wasn't by a certain lifestyle. Because if it was, then there was no need for a Savior. We could keep the law. Amen? But the promise wasn't through the keeping of any law. It was through the righteousness of faith. Same chapter. Plug along with me. This is really good. It encouraged me studying. Verse 16, same chapter, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise, where here we are with the promise again, might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, see those of, I'm going to show you this here a second in Hebrews, not just those of the law that were under law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, Who is the father of us all? Can I tell you, Adam is not your father. God's your father. But when it comes to the originator of righteousness by faith, Abraham led the way. And so we model that and we have faith to believe that it's not keeping the law. This is very, very, very important for us as believers in the new covenant. It doesn't release us from working to show our righteousness, but it does release us from working to obtain our righteousness. There is a difference. Paul and James are not at odds with one another. They're showing you two different sides of the same coin. Righteousness by faith works that show your righteousness. we got to get that clear. 
Because a lot of people will say, think that we have to work, that's what James said, to obtain righteousness. No, Paul said it's not by works, least any man should boast, it's by faith. But then James says, now that you are, and you realize that you are righteous, your works show men that you are righteous. In other words, there's a certain way we ought to be living, folks. Thank God for his grace, and I'll say a little bit louder. There's a lot of oughts that we have responsibility as sons to walk in. And a lot of those things we aren't walking in because of unbelief. Now, jump to Galatians, the third chapter, verse 16. Talking about, he said it, I believe it, by faith, that settles it. These are the promises of God. Verse 16, chapter 3 of Galatians. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Look at the screen. He does not say and to seeds as one would refer to many, but rather as in referring to one. And to your seed, here it is, that is Christ. How was the promise fulfilled? Through the incorruptible seed of the word of God, Christ. Not by the keeping of the law. Jesus came and fulfilled it perfectly. So verse 19 of Galatians 3, what then is the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, that word seed is capitalized there because it's Christ. All of the law and prophets, Matthew says, were preached until John. Then John came declaring the kingdom and from that point forward he's the forerunner of the Christ, the seed who comes preaching the kingdom, fulfilling all the promises of God. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of the mediator. In other words, the angels handed the copy of God's law to Moses. He gave it to the people because of transgression that they would be protected, hemmed in, and stayed safe. And he always made a way of escape until Christ the seed came and fulfilled the promise. I want to shout right there that he came, he fulfilled it, and I don't have any law to keep. Because I can't keep a law, but I have a life that keeps me now. <laughs> Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the scripture, to the promise. And then I love this, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all of God's promises find their yes of fulfillment in him and his yes with our amen, ascends to God and brings him glory. Can I tell you how you can bring glory to God? When you start believing that in Christ all the promises of God were fulfilled and that what he has spoken over you, you already have obtained. And by faith in believing that, you will start walking in all of the promises of God and that brings glory to God. It does not bring glory to God for you to work your fingers to the bone, give until your bank account is empty and make sacrifices to try to get something from God to please Him. He is already pleased in you. Now there are things He will correct us in. Man, I heard this great clip in that same clip from Charles Stanley this week, 
he said that God does not punish his children. He corrects, but he does not punish. And when you attach punishment to God's correction, you don't have the correct view of who your father is. And so these promises are settled in heaven. Go with me to Psalm 119, verse 89. Jennifer, if you'll come and play. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever. How long? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now, I believe that this is twofold. I believe that you can look at that word as anything that has proceeded out of the mouth of God is already settled in heaven. But I also believe that you could capitalize that word, word, and that Jesus, who is the word, is settled in heaven. He accomplished his work here. He is now seated and settled in his position in heaven where I am seated in Christ. Now, his promises, declarations, and words are settled in heaven. Now we need to settle them in our heart. How do we do that? By faith. By faith, we begin to believe that his promises towards us are already accomplished and that they are all yes. In other words, you have access to every one of them. He will not withhold that from you. Matter of fact, he hasn't withheld any good thing from you. Here's where I told you I would pull this into Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Talking about those in the Old Testament. But the word which they heard did not profit them. In other words, they didn't walk in it because they didn't believe it. It wasn't mixed with faith. And therefore, for 40 years, he's talking about the promise of going into the promised land where he said, I'll fight all of your battles for you. I'll drive the giants out. You can have the land that flows with milk and honey. It's yours. Step into it. They wouldn't believe that report. So for, it took them 40 years to get there. Why? Numbers tells us so that all unbelief could be weeded out. Once they believed, they stepped in. Thank God that we're not looking for a piece of real estate, that Jesus is our promised land. And Revelation 12 says he took up his residence inside of us. Look, look, God moved into the neighborhood and property value just went up. That's the message Bible. How? By faith. Faith that he was faithful. And again, our faith is simply believing. As you stand to your feet this morning, would you ask the Lord to show you any area of your life where there's unbelief that's hindered you from walking in the promises of God? Just begin to do a soul search and ask him, where is it that I'm in unbelief? And be like that man who asked Jesus to heal his son and Jesus said do you believe and he said Lord I believe help my unbelief I believe that this morning I'm talking to probably 99.9% of Christians in the building today if you've not believed unto salvation this morning I give you an invitation to say Lord I believe that what Christ did for me 
forgives me and washes and eradicates all of my sin. Welcome to the family of God. Most of us have done that, yet there's still unbelief. It's settled in heaven. Won't you settle that in your heart this morning? Come on, just pray and ask the soul search and ask the Lord to illuminate that area where you need some help. We need some Marys in the building. Luke 1, 26, the angel of the Lord comes and tells her some news, and it's good news. It's supposed to be good news, but she's a teenager. It says in verse 37, not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Here's the response that we need. It's the same response that Mary had. Faith speaks it out in belief. Let it be unto me according to your promise. Would you pray that right now in your spirit? Lord, let it be to me according to your promise. In other words, she was saying amen to the word that heaven was speaking over her. Thank you, Father, for helping us this morning. Pray that someone was encouraged. Someone will take what has been said and apply it to their hearts and that unbelief would begin to dissipate and belief, faith would arise. In Jesus' name.